Today, I have Dr. Tal Ben-Shahar, who is an expert in positive psychology. He's a psychologist who was actually at Harvard University and taught one of the most popular courses in positive psychology. I think he started out with about six people and then it ended up being about 600. Um, I first met uh, Dr. Shahar at Kripalu where he taught a nine month course in positive psychology. And I um, thought it was a fabulous course and it's certainly something that I utilize today and incorporate in my practice as well. So welcome, Dr. Talvin Shahar. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm so glad that you're here. Um, you've written an enormous amount of books, and uh, several of them I've read. Um, do you want to talk about some of the titles of your books? You have Happy and Happier, rather, and Even Happier. Yes, I, w I was thinking about happiest, but uh, I'm not happiest. quite there yet. Yeah, <laughs> uh, a few more years, maybe, of learning. Um, yeah, I've written about um, happiness in general. I've also written about uh, self-esteem and perfectionism. Uh, basically, I, I write about my pain points. You know, so yeah. I wasn't happy. I wrote about happiness. I had low self-esteem writing about that. And, you know, it, it, it's very often psychologists <laughs> or people in general. Right. I'm interested in, 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 in what is most personal. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, you know, a lot of the audience is going to be physicians who may be burning out, feeling like, um, you know, they've been through the rat race, they're still in the rat race, they don't know how to get out, they feel mm -hmm. trapped. Um, what uh, kinds of uh, advice or things, suggestions can you give to this group? Yeah, you know, so there's been a lot of research on uh, on burnout and stress uh, over the past you know, 30 years or so. And, and to my mind, the most interesting uh, finding in this literature is that stress in and of itself is actually not a bad thing. Uh, you know, if you if you think about um, the physiological level, you know, you go to the gym and, and, and you lift weights. What are we doing to our muscles when we lift weights? We stress them. Now, that's not a bad thing. That's actually potentially a good thing. You know, we go to the gym and, you know, day after day or every other day and we get stronger, we get more resilient. When do the problems begin? The problems begin when we go to the gym and we lift weights and a minute later, more weights. And then uh, a day later, even more weights and on and on. That's when we get injured. Mm -hmm. That's when we get um, enervated rather than energized. In other words, the problem is not the stress. The problem rather is the lack of recovery. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and that is the, the big issue in today's, uh, in today's culture because um, we equate recovery with uh, laziness. Yeah. Uh, we equate um, uh, doing nothing with there being a, a problem or absence of motivation. When in fact, uh, doing nothing, when in fact, uh, um, recreating is, uh, is very important. It's important for physical health. It's important for mental health. Mm -hmm. um, it's important for creativity and productivity. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of the speakers during the summit have spoken about periods in their lives where they have actually stopped. They had to stop working. Mm -hmm. And after uh, they stopped for a period of time, that's when the creativity developed, the, the innovation and the new ideas. 
Yeah, it, you know, it happens in actually in many fields. So I know I remember a, a story that I learned about when I took a class in sociology about, you know, arguably the greatest sociologist of our time, mm-hmm. uh, Max Weber. And uh, he was off the grid for, uh, for many years for personal issues. And suddenly he appeared and, and wrote his mag, uh, magnum opus. Mm. Um, you see it with athletes who, who got injured, who were forced to take time off and they come back and they don't really train hard because they're still recovering and they break the world record. Um, and you have too many stories of, uh, about such instances for it to, uh, to be a coincidence. So there is a real phenomenon here that, uh, yeah, working hard is, is great. It's, it's, it's important. It's, it's energizing. Recovery is no less important. And it's these, you know, picks and troughs that are, that are critical for our optimal functioning. And again, optimal functioning in terms of uh, success, productivity, creativity, and optimal functioning in terms of our mental health. Right, right. I think the, the whole recovery thing is something I had to learn the hard way. <laughs> because I remember, you know, exercising five, six times a week and doing double sessions of, you know, soul cycle and, and really just not resting in between because I thought, you know, you have to feel the burn. You have to keep going. Just keep going. <laughs> no pain, no gain. No pain, no gain. Yeah, until, you know, I injured myself. So, yeah. Yeah, and you know, what is injury? Injuries are, you know, bodies or minds way of saying, you know, enough, stop. No. Uh, <laughs> stop. I, I, I'll force you to provide <laughs> me with recovery. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Listen, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Um, I also wanted to talk to you, um, well, first of all, I think we should define positive psychology because I think there are a lot of misconceptions about what it really means. Could you elaborate on that for us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, There are many misconceptions, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. You know, positive psychology is equated with positive thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you think positively and everything will become positive. Smile and every problem you ever had will be solved. Um, that, that's not the case. Um, you know, there are no five easy steps to, to, to happiness. There, is no sh- there are no shortcuts to the good life. Um, and that is the difference, the essential difference between the field of positive psychology and the new age or self-help movement. So positive psychology is the science of happiness. And what we have there is rigorous research, uh, academics, you know, toiling day in and day out in labs in the world, uh, making small steps, uh, small gains in many, uh, very often uh, under-promising mm-hmm. and uh, hopefully over-delivering rather than the opposite, which uh, has been unfortunately the case with much of the self-help movement, over-promising and under-delivering. Yeah. So the science of happiness is about identifying um, tools and techniques that we can apply on an individual level, an interpersonal level, uh, organizational, and, and societal level. Things that we can apply and use to increase levels of well-being. Mm-hmm. And some of those things are developing rituals, right? A practice of some kind, gratitude journals. Yeah, ex- exactly right. You know, the... Um, you know, in, in, in many ways, if you think about bringing about change, bringing about lasting, meaningful change, mm-hmm. um, in many ways, philosophers historically had it wrong and theologians actually had it right. 
Um, at least this is what science is, is showing us today. So what did philosophers say? So the father of Western philosophy, uh, Socrates, once said, to know the good is to do the good. Mm. Um, if you know, if you understand, if you internalize um, what is good, what is moral, what is just, what is healthy, then you will do it. Well, unfortunately, Socrates, in this case, uh, was, was wrong and, mm -hmm. and very wrong because, you know, we know what is uh, good for us by and large. We know that certain foods are, are good for us, others less so. Uh, we know, and, and yet we, um, we all deviate yeah. from, um, from, from where we, we know we should yeah. be. Or, you know, we know we should be kind and gentle and generous uh, to people and always keep our composure. We know that. Mm -hmm. How many people actually do that all the time? No one. Yeah. So to know the good is not necessarily to, um, to do the good. So this is where philosophers, not every philosopher, but many philosophers had it wrong. Knowledge is not enough. Mm -hmm. Where theologians were right is that they understood that what we need is what I've come to call the three R's of change. The three R's of change are reminders, repetition, and rituals. Mm -hmm. Reminders, repetition, and rituals. So um, what does religion do? Religion constantly reminds us of the kind of person that that particular religion thinks that uh, we ought to become. And again, whether we agree with it or not, we're talking about a, a method, a technique. We need reminders, whether it's daily prayer or whether it's uh, art on the walls that are uh, reminding us, certain texts and, and quotes and so on. Um, certain uh, holidays that um, remind us on an ongoing basis the kind of person that we ought to become. Um, repetition, that leads to us repeating a particular action, whether it's a, a daily prayer or whether it's uh, um, giving um, a charity on a regular basis, whatever it is, repeating the action over and over again. And finally, what that does is create a ritual. Hmm. Now, what are ritual? ritual are rituals um, are actually neural pathways that are created as a result of reminders and ongoing repetition. Mm -hmm. So for instance, you know, you think um, top athletes, you know, you wake up Serena Williams in the middle of the night and you throw a ball at her, she'll hit a, probably a perfect forehand, <laughs> you know, automatic, it's yeah. a ritual. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you think about Roger Federer, same thing. There is a ritual in his, in her brain that um, leads them because they've repeated the action yeah. so often. That's automatic. Brushing our teeth is right. a ritual. We don't need to think about it. We do it. Mm -hmm. To bring about lasting change, to become more positive, for example, um, we need to ritualize gratitude, uh, the gratitude uh, practice, mm -hmm. day in and day out, focus on what we're grateful for rather than taking for granted. Now, we do it often enough. There are neural pathways in our brain that are being formed around focusing on things that are going well in the world, mm -hmm. focusing on the positive or acts of kindness. We do it enough times, we repeat it enough, we actually become kinder people. So we become what we want to become through reminding ourselves or having external reminders do the work, repeating the action, and then creating that, that ritual. Mm, that's Easier great. said than done. Yes, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> but that's a, a really great way to conceptualize it and, and remember it as well, yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about the benefits of gratitude journals? Because yes. I do recommend them to my patients all the time. 
Good. You know, so I, I started keeping a gratitude journal on the 19th of September, 1999. <laughs> now people ask me, you know, but that's, you know, people who know the, 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 the research around that, they said, well, that's four years before the research came out. And I said, yeah, yeah, because um, it was then that Oprah told me to do it. Oh. <laughs> so she was ahead of the game, she often is. Yeah. Um, and uh, so research that came out from around 2003 shows uh, very clearly the, the benefits of keeping a gratitude journal. So people who do it uh, on a regular basis are happier, mm -hmm. more optimistic. They're more likely to achieve their goals. In other words, they're more successful. They're kinder, more generous towards others. And interestingly, and this is where the mind-body connection comes in, they're physically healthier. Mm. So their immune system actually strengthens. Now, how long does it take to keep a gratitude journal? What, two minutes, three minutes uh, a night? Um, and yet doing it has all these, uh, these benefits. Now, the important thing with the gratitude journal is that we maintain freshness or what psychologist Barbara Fredrickson calls heartfelt positivity. Right. In other words, you know, if I, if I write down in my journal and just go through the motion because I've been doing it for so long, that doesn't have the same effect as if I write it down and then I think, okay, so what does it mean to me mm. when I write, you know, my daughter right. uh, and grateful for her or when I write, you know, a nice meal that I had, if I re-experience it, mm -hmm. experience heartfelt positivity, then it has the benefits that yes. the, the research points to. That's right. If you can, you know, reimagine the feeling you had when you saw that flower or the sunrise or whatever it is, then you can replicate it as you write it. Um, I love Barbara Fredrickson's Love 2.0 yes. <laughs> when she talks about micro moments, right, of positivity. Um, I'm not sure if that's what she calls it exactly, but but, um, you know, it's nice to be able to remember those, those moments. Yeah, you know, it's, it's what, what Barbara Fredrickson does, which is, which is really wonderful in uh, Love 2.0, is um, she lowers the bar for love. Yes. Now, for some people that may, you know, that, that may not be um, an, an appealing proposition, uh, but, but I think it is, and, and here's why. So what, essentially what she says is that we experience um, love when we experience positivity resonance. Mm -hmm. In other words, you know, you know we, we walk down the street and you know, we see a, uh, you know, a funny little dog and we look at the dog and we smile. And then another person who we've never met before looks at the same dog and smiles and we smile at each other. Mm -hmm. This is positivity resonance. Mm -hmm. That's a micro moment mm -hmm. of love. Now, yeah. physiologically, um, that has the same, um, the same fingerprint as, as love. Now, not, not to the same intensity, say, when there is romantic love, uh, certainly not at the, at the beginning of a relationship, um, but it has the same, um, the same imprint mm -hmm. and uh, therefore the same benefits. Mm. And there are um, enormous benefits to experiencing these micro moments of, uh, of love. Yes, you know, walking into the sunset with, with our lover is, is wonderful. But you mm -hmm. know, that happens, you know, rarely. Yeah. Um, and, um, and when it does, it doesn't, doesn't last. That actual experience doesn't last a lifetime. Whereas right. micro moments are accessible to us um, literally every, every day yes. of, of our life. And we become, if we become conscious, aware that it's available, we're more likely to experience them. We're more likely to seek them 
and yes. manufacture them. Yes. And that's lovely. I think it's especially important in the doctor-patient relationship too, you know, because now physicians spend less and less time with patients. Ah, but right. if you can have that moment of connection, that is very precious. I think that is um, spot on. And I think it's extra important with, with the doctor-patient um, relationship. And here is why. You see, patients in general, they come into the hospital or you know, to the office and they look up to the doctor. The doctor is in a leadership position. Mm -hmm. Now, there's very interesting research on mirror neurons. Mm -hmm. Mirror neurons uh, suggest that um, we essentially mirror other people's emotions. You know, so if you, if you smile even a little bit, I'm more likely to smile back. And even if I don't smile, there are micro movements in my, in my face. There are neurons firing in my brain associated with, with a smile and hence with a more positive feeling. If I see someone frown, same thing. Now, the interesting um, finding when it comes to mirror neurons is that we especially mirror those who are in authority position. Mm. So children are much more likely to mirror their parents. Uh, employees in an organization are much more likely to mirror the boss. You know, this is why a, boss, a boss's mood affects the entire organization. And by the way, even if most employees don't see the boss, mm. the fact that she comes in happy or unhappy has an effect on the entire organization. Doctors are in the same category. Yeah. Authority position, a leader, you're mm -hmm. affecting. So if you can generate, you know, a, a, a small smile, mm -hmm. the impact of it um, is, uh, is significant. And as we know, you know, positive yeah. uh, mood um, contributes not just to mental health, also to physical health. Our immune system is actually stronger as a result mm -hmm. of it. Yes, and we, we really could use that now, too. <laughs> Very much so. Very with, much so. We need strong immune systems. Because, we do. Uh, Yes, with Corona being around us. Um, and just to switch gears a little bit, I'd like to also talk about flow, the state of flow, what it means, and how it applies to creativity as well. Good. So, um, you know, flow is um, a concept that was uh, introduced, at least to the psychological literature, by Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi. Thank you, you know, for by the way, announcing I'll, that. <laughs> yes, it, 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 it took me years. I actually give my students extra credit. They can spell it uh, correctly. Yeah, oh, I've yet that's to find how I avoided that. saying it. <laughs> um, and Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi has done remarkable work. Yeah. Um, in positive psychology in general, he's one of the, the pillars of the, of the field, one of the founders. Right. And specifically in the area of flow, what is flow? Flow is the state when we're completely immersed in a in, in a situation in an experience um you know it's like you 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 read a book and suddenly you notice that you know three hours have gone by you don't even notice that you know you, you lose track of time mm -hmm. or um you know we, as, as children we experience it a lot you know we're outside with our friends and suddenly it's dark and we don't even know where that came from um or at work when you're immersed in whatever it is that you're doing now the benefits of flow um, are um, interesting and important. The first benefit is that it's, it's a peak experience. These are generally the times when we, um, looking back, not while we're in it, but looking back, these are the times when we were at our happiest. Yes. 
the other thing that happens during flow is that we are at our best. Mm. So it's peak experience and peak performance. Mm. And at our best because uh, we're completely engaged in what we're doing. So we're focused, we're, con we're concentrating. Second, uh, creativity levels um, are at their highest. We're able to make connections that we weren't able to make before or that we wouldn't make normally. Now, this is, of course, so important for doctors because, you know, what, what, what are doctors doing? They're collecting a lot of data, trying to make connections, whether it's connections to past patients that they had, something that they learned in medical school or, um, you know, a, a journal article that, you know, that, that, the, that they just read yesterday in the New England Journal of Medicine. Right. They have to make a lot of connections. When you're in state of flow, that's when you make these connections. Mm. Um, so if you can, you know, it seems like, you know, you have it all. Mm -hmm. More productive, more creative, more engaged, and your experience is a better experience. In other words, your um, levels of well-being go up. It sounds like a no-brainer. Yeah. And, and the question is, how can you induce a state of, of flow? Um, so first of all, going back to what we spoke about um, earlier, recovery is important. Mm -hmm. You know, the word recreation and creation, you know, it, the, the etymological connection is, 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 um, is not coincidental. Mm. Um, so we, we need recovery. We're less likely to experience flow. It's possible, but less likely when we're uh, absolutely exhausted, when we have no, uh, no recovery. Um, so that so that's so that's one thing. The other thing is um, to um, eliminate as much as possible uh, external distractions. So to to generate as much as possible focus. Now, clearly, you know, doctors have to very often multitask. But yeah. even if it's possible at times to to say, okay, now I'm with that patient, one hundred percent with that patient. Mm -hmm. um, not only will they benefit uh, a great deal, but, but you as the, uh, as the physician will benefit uh, a great deal because you're more likely to enter a state of flow. Right. Well, I noticed when I'm painting or printmaking that I'm in a state of flow. You know, time just passes by and I'm not really thinking about the product. I'm actually experiencing um, the experience of painting and creating. And um, I see it as a meditative process. Is there a connection there? Good. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I think there is, um, you know, we talked earlier about how there's a lot of misunderstanding about positive mm -hmm. psychology. There's also a lot of misunderstanding about meditation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the picture most people have of meditation is of, uh, you know, the, the, the guru or the Buddha sitting you know, in a cross-legged position with most, most of us would um, you know, would break, physically break if we try to get into um, and completely focused, you know, on this point and the air going yeah. in and out. Yes, that is a form of meditation, but it's just one form of meditation. Essentially, meditation means present moment awareness. Mm -hmm. That's all there is to it. Now, again, easier said than done, especially in today's world. Yes. You know, Daniel Goleman, the, 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 author of Emotional Intelligence and, and many other wonderful works, um, calls our age the age of distraction. Mm. In other words, distraction, the opposite of present moment awareness. Mm. Um, now, present moment awareness, we can experience while focusing on the air going in and out. Uh, we can also uh, experience present moment awareness focusing on our posture, as in uh, uh, Qigong or, or yoga. Mm -hmm. We can also... 
um, experience present moment awareness when we're with our patient mm -hmm. or when we are with our family mm -hmm. or um, when, when, when walking or reading. And what we need to do for that is to reduce or at that moment eliminate multitasking mm -hmm. and engage in single tasking. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, when we are uh, with, with, with our family, uh, switch, um, switch the, the, you know, the technology off. Yeah. Unless you are on call, in which case you can't do it. But if right. you can, switch it off. Um, and when you do that, you're more likely to enter a state of flow. You're more, more likely to be engaged. You're more likely to be in a meditative state. Now, mm -hmm. meditative state, just like a flow state, has numerous benefits, both physical as well as physiological. Once again, actually strengthening our, our immune system, mm -hmm. not just when we're doing it, but also subsequently because we did it, because we were present. So what we need, you know, even if we do need to multitask for much of the day, we need what, what I've come to call islands of sanity mm. throughout the day. And mm -hmm. islands of sanity are periods, times when we are present when we're single tasking, when we're focused on whatever it is that we're doing, whether being with a patient, whether it's being at home, whether walking, reading, or responding to emails. Yeah, yeah. And that is something that I think everyone finds very difficult in today's exactly. you know, age of distraction. Yeah. Um, I'm drawing a blank right now. <laughs> <laughs> I think I went off into a state of <laughs> <laughs> permission to be human. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love um, permission to be human I, is something I love. And also, you know, Marty Seligman's um, learned helplessness because mm. I think um, a lot of times physicians uh, are in a state of learned helplessness where we feel powerless, you know, um, yeah, you know, a, a state of learned helplessness, which is where we feel like we have no choice or, you know, there's mm -hmm. nothing we can do about it, um, happens uh, often because of a very strong external environment where there are certain um, uh, demands uh, on, on, on us, on our time, and, um, and we have no choice about it. You know, and this could be something like the very long hours that an intern has to, uh, has to serve. Yeah. Um, it could be the, uh, you know, the, the, the call of duty that, that, that is very strong. And that is why you went into mm -hmm. this profession in the first place. So, you know, that's not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. uh, the fact that you feel, you know, an obligation or, or, you know, a need, a sense of, a sense of duty. Um, and yet, and yet what's important to do this in, in, you know, despite those very powerful environmental forces is to realize that we usually and almost always have some choice. Mm -hmm. I'll give you a, a, an, an extreme example. So, you know, even in, if you're in the midst of, uh, you know, a very busy shift, usually, unless it's, you know, it's an absolute emergency, usually you can take 30 seconds off, mm. close your eyes and take in three deep breaths. Now, these three deep breaths can actually go a long way, especially if we practice them consistently, because what happens 
um, when we take those three deep breaths. We shift from the fight or flight response, the stress response, mm -hmm. to what Herbert Benson from Harvard Medical School calls the relaxation response. Mm -hmm. Now remember, the problem is not the stress, the problem is lack of recovery. Right. Now being in that relaxation response, even for 30 seconds, or you know, if you can, if you can go wild, you know, for a minute, yeah. that, that, <laughs> that goes a long way yeah. in, um, in, in helping us better mm. deal with, um, with, with stress, right. with the, 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 the external stress that's imposed, mm -hmm. uh, imposed on us. So small changes applied consistently can make a big, big difference. Yeah. The key here is applied consistently. And to do that, we need reminders. Right, exactly. And, um, you know, a lot of people want to do breathing, breath exercises, etc., when they're most stressed. Mm -hmm. But it's actually really important to do it consistently, like you say, so that when we actually do need it, it comes into play much more easily. Exactly right. I mean, again, going back to the, to the sports analogy, you know, imagine if, uh, you know, a player says, I only want to be at my best, you know, deal with the, the pressure of, you know, a hundred mile an hour serve when I'm playing Wimbledon. You know, first of all, that person wouldn't get into Wimbledon. You need to put in a lot of practice before so that when you get to Wimbledon, that's when you are um, right. ready to, to perform at the, at the highest level. Because by then, it's a ritual. You right, don't need to think right. about it. It's automatic. Mm -hmm. um, same with every practice that we want to, um, um, to, to become an expert in. Mm -hmm. It takes time. It takes practice. Mm -hmm. That's true. That's true. Now, I ask all of my speakers to define creativity. What is your definition of creativity? Yeah, I must say I don't have a very creative definition of uh, of creativity. Okay. So, you know, I will go with the, you know, with the with, with the general, you know, thinking uh, thinking outside the box and yeah. and being able to make connections, um, um, between domains across domains. Mm -hmm. you know, so the, you know, the example is, you know, Einstein, you know, playing his violin and then coming up with the, you know, theory of relativity mm -hmm. uh, or, um, you know, able to see, you know, a, a certain connection between these, uh, these two worlds um, on, a, on a very different uh, level. You know, for me, when, um, when I study um, mathematics and then I'm able to apply a mathematical model to a psychological phenomenon you know that that, that that that's when i must say that's when i when um, a creative um um shift mm -hmm. um makes me very happy you know yeah. making these connections um yeah. between or among disciplines yeah i can see you light up when <laughs> with that <laughs> <laughs> what what are some of your hobbies or what are some of the things that you like to do to to recover or wind down yes yeah, so um today my number one hobby is uh ping pong oh yeah in oh. fact i'm going to treat you to my <laughs> ping pong table which oh, is right here oh very nice <laughs> <laughs> close by uh -huh. um so yes, I play a lot of ping pong. Uh, I have a coach, and uh, I play oh, really? with my with my kids who are also into it. Uh huh. Um, also, you know, in general, uh, ex yeah. I do a lot of exercise, and I, I love to read. So uh, right now, I'm uh, I'm reading a wonderful book, uh, hun uh, the hundred uh, short stories, 
And these are some of the, the greatest short stories uh, in history, whether it's, uh, you know, Fitzgerald, Tolstoy, and uh, mm. Just Loving, but literature. Nice, nice. Yeah. And, and, and again, talking about creativity, reading literature, which is, you know, yeah. um, not directly uh, related to my, you know, my, my field of, of psychology actually mm. helps me be more creative within my field of psychology. Yeah, I can see that. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, the, just the act of drawing, whether or not it, you're good at it, can actually be beneficial to you as well. Yeah, very much so, very much so. Because, again, for, for various reasons. One reason is because you're more likely to enter a state of flow. Yes. yes. Um, and, and, and second, because you are, you know, drawing on, uh, on, on both, both brains to... Yeah. Uh, um, to and, and, and connecting to parts that maybe you, you don't connect to mm -hmm. usually when, when you're doing the more you know rational and linear kind right. of work. I actually do drawing workshops for clinicians and uh, and physicians to get them in touch with their creativity and yeah. in a state of flow. I think yeah, can be that, very that's helpful. very valuable and uh, in, and um, you know I, I I wish I do a lot of work in organizations and and you know I wish managers. Mm. Um, uh, business managers again who are who are great at reading an Excel sheet yeah. uh, and analyzing it. I wish they would uh, um, draw more or engage yeah. in some um, in in more in in, in music. Um, I think Absolutely. it would help them a great deal. Well, I'd be happy to do a workshop for <laughs> any of for the managers. organizations. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. People are often surprised at what they're capable of. You know. And, um, and once they get into a state of flow, it's magical. Yeah. You know, I, so as you were talking, I'm thinking about something else. Um, mm -hmm. no, so I, I read, you know, drawing on the right side of your yeah. brain, Betty Edwards. And, you know, I even, um, you know, and, 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 and I followed the, and, and I was amazed that, you know, suddenly I, I drew a face that, you know, doesn't have the eyes here and, uh, <laughs> you know, a stick figure for a body. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it really, it really amazed me then. And, and I think the important thing there is to cultivate the growth mindset. Right. Because what you see, and I'm sure you see it in your workshops, is that, you know, people improve and they say, oh, so I'm not a, you know, I'm not terrible right. at, at drawing. Oh, I can improve. Mm -hmm. Saying, oh, I can improve is transportable. It's transferable mm -hmm. to all other areas in life. Absolutely. And it's the growth mindset rather than the fixed mindset that we know contributes to success as a manager, as a physician, as a student, as a partner in yeah. a relationship. Yes. It's transferable. It's transportable. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I, I never made the connection until, uh, yes. uh, until now between, um, you know, learning how to draw and, and cultivating or, or rather um, internalizing the growth mindset. Right. I mean, art is the one place where you're allowed to make mistakes and you don't have to be perfect or accurate, right? Uh, on the contrary, it's, it's through making mistakes that you, um, right. that you learn and, and, and grow and develop and improve. Yeah, yeah. And one of your books is You Don't Have to Be Perfect, <laughs> right? Which is a very, yeah. good, uh, very good book. Again, and um, started with a with a, a real pain point, perfectionism. Yeah. Perfectionism. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been such a pleasure talking with you, and uh, I've learned so much. 
in this exchange. Thank you so much for being a part of this. Thank you. And thank you for doing the work that you're doing. It's so important um, um, bringing these ideas in a, in, in, in a rigorous uh, mm-hmm. way based on, uh, on science, bringing it to, to physicians and to, to more people. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to say bye to everyone in our audience. Bye now.